Hi, this is Stephen Adair, pastor of Grace Christian Fellowship here in Odessa, Texas. And I want to thank you for tuning in today to our podcast. I hope this message encourages you, gives you hope, and reminds you that you are loved. Hey, good morning, church, and welcome to Easter. It is Easter morning, and though we are not together in our building yet again, the excitement is still the same. This is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the day that victory was born, that hope walked out of an empty grave. We celebrate that today, and we are so glad that you are joining us this morning as we celebrate the life that Jesus lives today. That yes, Jesus died a real death, that Jesus was buried in a real grave, but Jesus today lives a real extravagant and abundant life. And that is the hope that we as his people know and have, is that we too will hope in that real extravagant and abundant life that Jesus promises us in John 10, 10. And it is a, it is a gift and it, it is a, a privilege to be able to still have the opportunity to share a message of hope, even in a season like we are in right now. We might not be able to be together, but today is still a great day because today is still Easter morning. And we are so glad that we could celebrate it together. As we dive into the text this morning, I want to remind you of one thing, that God is still good and that God is still in control. And I really hope that today that's the, kind of the message that we circle back to is that God was, is in control today. And even in the events around Easter, God was in ultimate control around Easter. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we dive in. I hope that you've had an incredible Holy Week. I hope that last Sunday and Palm Sunday stirred something within you of, of what you could let loose of as you approached this new week. And I hope that um, our, our teenagers, man, I hope that they led you through a Friday night experience that spoke to you. It was so good, and I'm so grateful that we have a church of young people who are willing to step up and lead even in times like this. It is phenomenal. And here's the thing is today is Easter, and it is a day in which we can celebrate all of the things that God has given us, all the goodness that God has wrapped into his people. Today we celebrate it in a new way because today we are reminded that it's because of our good God that we know life and life abundance. Today is the victory story of Easter morning. So let's dive in this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 for the majority of the morning. So let me just get started with verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here, for he has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. These women have just witnessed 
They've witnessed the, the beginning of victory. They've gone to the tomb to, to put these spices on the body of Jesus. But they get there, but Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And these angels appear and say, why are you here? Why are you even looking for the living people among the dead people? Don't you remember what he said? He said, I will die, but do not fear. Do not, be, do not grieve me because three days later, I will come back to life. They will tear this temple down, but in three days, I will revive it and I will rebuild it. Jesus says, wait for I am coming back. Be prepared for me to come back. But instead of preparing uh, for Jesus's return, they're still preparing for Jesus's loss. They're still going to see a dead Jesus. And I, I, I wish, I wish that I could, you know, like rag on them. I wish that I could be like, oh, you people of little faith, like, what are you thinking? But I mean, the reality of the story is, is that what they experienced was real. They witnessed Jesus die. They watched Jesus' hands get nailed to the cross. They watched Jesus breathe his last breath. They watched his heart stop pumping. They watched Jesus die a real death. They watched Jesus get buried in a real grave. To them, this was not just a, fig a figurative story that people read about. This was real life. It happened to them. They watched their Savior be crucified. And so this is a struggle. It's, I mean, it, it is a faith struggle, but it's also a real tangible struggle. The emotions are raw. This is a real thing that happened in their lives. And so they go to the tomb and to find that Jesus is not there and these angels show up and say, hey, remember, remember what Jesus said about himself. Remember what Jesus said he was going to do. Remember those things. Matthew records this section of the story that I want us to kind of think through a little bit as we venture through the Luke version. But I want us to just jump over to Matthew chapter 28 um, and, and verse 11. Matthew says this. He says that as the women were on their way, um, some of the guards went into the city and told the leaders. So as the women are on their way back to tell the apostles, the disciples, what they have seen. So the guards come into the city and tell the leading priest what had happened. Verse 12. A meeting with elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must not say Jesus' disciples, or you must say, I'm sorry, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. You see, the way that the world will respond to the hope that we have in Jesus is they will just try to deny it. They will just simply try to rob you of the joy and the hope that you know because of Jesus Christ. That's the world's response. They will try to hold hope back they will try to say no no it's not even real it never happened it's just a figment of your imagination you've created the story you've created this lie that you live within that kind of hope doesn't exist hope is dead your jesus is dead this is just a system of lies that people have created for you it is not real it is not tangible and they will say things like how can you still believe in a god that is hopeful when you have tried to be hopeful and failed. You see, the world is really quick to look at our own failures, yes, even as Christians, and say, see, that's why God can't be real. Because you've tried to sober up, yet you're still an addict. 
You've tried to maintain your marriage, yet you're still getting divorced. You've tried to raise good kids, yet they're still heathens. You've tried. You've tried to do all of these things. You tried. Why do you believe in hope? Why do you believe that God loves you? How can you believe that? It just can't be real because look at how broken the world is. Your hope is lost. You thought that, you thought that this Jesus guy was the one, this is, you thought this Jesus guy is the one that could save you, but he is dead. You watched him die. That's what these women are dealing with now. And that's the story that is being told. Hey, these, these Jesus followers, they, they are so caught up in this lie. They're so caught up in the fact that Jesus can live. They create, that, that they came and stole the body of Jesus just to make their story stick. That's what, that's what the world wants people to hear. That we just made all of this up. That none of it is real. But man, the Easter story is so much bigger than a story of a man and a bride. The Easter story is the story of a God in an empty tomb. You see, what the world wants is for you to question the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. What the world wants is for you to question the hope and the faith that you have in Jesus. Because the world would much rather you operate from a position of fear rather than a position of hope. The voice of fear, of hate, of anger and rage, it is a loud, loud voice. It's a loud voice. It's a voice that will attempt to drown out the hope that is found in Jesus. It is a voice that will speak loudly over the church will speak loudly over its people and say those people have lost, they, they don't know truth. They don't know truth because if they knew it, then they could look in their own lives and see the brokenness that they deal with. But listen, church, Jesus never said that he was going to make us perfect in this day. Jesus has always said you will continue to have troubles, but take heart. Take heart because in the end, I overcome the world and you will Two, it's not about living a perfect life today. It's not about taking all of the pain away today. It is giving you a hope for a better tomorrow. You see, that's where God succeeds. God succeeds in the tomorrows. God succeeds in what is to come. Easter is not a story about an ending. Easter is a story of a new beginning. But if you look at the life of Jesus and you see it end at the cross, then you are missing the greatness and the greatest things that came even after the cross of Christ. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for sins, but he was raised to new life and victory for us, and that's what we celebrate today. That's what we rest in today. Here's how it goes down in the rest of Luke. Pick up in Luke chapter 24, verse 19. Jesus has left the tomb. He's, he's left the tomb, and he's walking back to meet the disciples. And while he's walking back to meet the disciples, he comes across these two men who are having a conversation. And he asks these two men what they're talking about. And they say, well, we're just talking about the things of Jesus. And this is what, this is what Jesus asked him in verse 19. I love it. I love that Jesus asks questions. You see, all the time we hear that Jesus is the answer, right? But 
We miss out on the times when Jesus asks questions. And why does Jesus ask questions? It's because Jesus wants us to get to the answer. And that's exactly what he's doing here with these guys. He's asking questions so that they could get to the answer. And the answer just happens to be the very one asking them the questions. And so here's what he says. What are you talking about? What things? Jesus says, verse 19, what things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. He did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be uh, condemned to death and they crucified him. Verse 21, we had hoped, underline that phrase, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Three days ago, they had hoped. I want you to just think for just, just a moment, uh, put yourself in this scene. You have just witnessed Jesus die. You've, you've witnessed him on, on Friday. You watched his death and you've spent all day, all night, Friday night, all day, Saturday, grieving and, and questioning and challenging the events that you have seen, that you have dealt with on um, uh, the death of Jesus. And three days later, you get word, because what happens in Luke, 20, in Luke 24 is these two people get word that Jesus is not in the tomb, that, that Jesus is not in the tomb. Because ultimately what happens is, is these two ladies, they return back to the apostles and say, hey, we just came back, and Jesus is not in the tomb, and they don't believe them. They don't, they don't even believe them. That's how stubborn they are. They don't even believe them. Now, Peter later on will wake up to the reality of what Jesus said, that he would resurrect, so he runs to the tomb, but Jesus isn't there, so he comes back, and he's almost disappointed. He's wondering about the things that are happening. He's going, what is going on? I thought Jesus would come back to life and with him would come triumph and with him would come victory and the world would change. We would be the people that God called us to be. We would be this chosen royal people. But they don't know where Jesus is. And so these two people just leave and they begin their journey away from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. Some Philosophers and scholars refer to it as the walk away from the promise. You see, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem the week before to establish his kingdom. Yet here we are the following week. Jesus has died and these two people are going, man, maybe it's just not here. Maybe this isn't it. So they've waited the full three days. They, they waited around to see what would happen. And then they decide Jesus is not in the tomb. We don't know where he is. Let's just go home. Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you at least think for a second? Wait, I, I'm, I'm at least going to wait a little while. I mean, it's just now day three, right? It's just now the morning of day three. Let's sit around a little bit. Let's see what happens. Let's see if this Jesus guy shows up. Let's see. We've, I mean, we've already spent the weekend here. What's hanging out for a few more hours? But they don't. They hit the road, beginning to walk away from Jerusalem, away from the promise, back to the life that they used to have. And I mean, I can't blame them. It's ultimately what some of the disciples will do as well. They'll go back to fishing. They'll go back to living the life that they knew before Jesus, because what, what, are you, what else are you going to do? But Jesus says, he's coming back. Give me three days and I will be back. And so we watch as Jesus intersects these two men on the road to Emmaus. He comes upon them and he says, what are y'all talking about? 
Hey, what are y'all doing? What are you talking about? They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize the risen Savior. And so he's asking them some questions, and they're basically saying, man, listen, we've just had a no good, bad weekend. We watched as our Jesus died. Our Jesus was handed over to be killed. Now, now, I want to give you a word today. It's going to be a good word. I want you to write it down and say it with your family around the room. The word for today, uh, this is your Greek lesson. I don't know a lot of Greek, so these are limited, all right? Limited time only. But uh, I want you to remember the word paradidomai. Now, paradidomai is mentioned a couple of times in Scripture, but it's mentioned multiple times at the death of Jesus. Every time the word paradidomai is mentioned in, in the Gospels around the death of Jesus, it is, it, it is uh, translated, is handed over. So it starts with Judas. Judas hands over Jesus to the Roman officials. Paradidomai is handed over. He is then handed over to the, all of the various, to, to the Sanhedrin. He's handed over to, uh, to uh, Pilate. You know, he's handed over to King Herod. He's handed over to the people to be crucified. He is handed over paradidomai. So as these two people are talking on the road to Emmaus, he's, they're talking to Jesus, and they're, they're telling Jesus, man, our Savior was handed over to be crucified. He was just handed, meaning there was no struggle. He was just handed over. There was no royal, there was no army of angels that came to defend him. There was none of that. He was just handed over. Just hand it over to be crucified. It, it, it's almost this like, as they're telling the story, you could feel for them. They feel not just defeated that Jesus died, but they're feel defeated at how Jesus died. It was nothing like they anticipated it to be. It seemed to be a total hopeless situation. And they mention it. They say we struggle because we had hoped that Jesus was the savior of the world. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to rescue us, but the world had silenced their hope. But what I love, what I love about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an event of hope that had been wished, but it is a hope that is to have. That is the resurrection. And that is ultimately why Paul writes in Romans chapter 4. He says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever it is that he promises. See, Abraham had no reason to hope. He was over 100 years old. He had no reason to hope. He had no reason to believe that God was really going to do what God was going to do, because that's the way that the that's the way the world operated. Abraham, if you don't have kids now, you're never going to have them, dude. Just move on. Forget about it. Abraham had the greatest reason to not believe God. It had never happened before. Yet, that doesn't keep him away from hope. No children. He's never had children. But he's promised one. And not as he promised one, he's promised to be the father of Many generations, the father of many people, of God's 
people. He has no reason to hope in a kingdom of flesh. But man, he has all the reason to hope in the kingdom of God. Because he knows that God could do incredible things. You see, you will lose your hope if you reside in the kingdom of the world. You will. You will lose your hope in the world. If you continue to trust in things of the world, the world will continue to let you down. You will continue to feel defeated. You will continue to feel mocked. You will continue to feel like all of your dreams and everything about your, what you have desired in your life has just been crucified before your eyes because that is what the world is good at. But the kingdom of God can take hopeless situations like death and can breathe in resurrection. That is the story of Easter. Death, the death on the cross that Jesus died, it was just a setup. It was a setup for the greatest things that were to come. It is to show us that the kingdom that God is building here on earth is established. It's established by the very hands of God, by faith. By faith, we can experience new life because we know hope. We know hope in better things to come. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. Oh, I love that. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Meaning this, the kingdom of God is not just something that we wish for. The kingdom of God is not even necessarily something that we hope for. The kingdom of God is something right now that we are living for. That is why we are alive, to establish the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Easter is all about, for death to be defeated. Revelation chapter 1, it's this, this like a commentary on this conversation that happens between Jesus and the devil. And it, it, it goes, in my own terms, it goes something like Jesus is... Before he comes back to life, he looks at the devil and he says, what do you have? Show me the cards that you have to play. And, and the devil's like, well, I got this. I got this, this key of death. And it's a pretty good one. Because I can use it and I can hold it over anybody. I can keep anybody down. It is awesome. I love this key. This is the key of death. And Jesus says, well, listen, I'm about to kick open this tomb and walk out of it. And I'm telling you right now, that whenever I kick over this tomb and walk out of it, you will no longer be able to hold that key of death. I'm taking it with me. And no, never again will you have the power and the authority to hold my people down, to separate my people from the goodness that I have called them to because I am walking out of this tomb. Death will not hold me back and it's not going to hold us back as his people either because the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus was shame covered by grace. The death of deep Jesus was tragedy, but was overwhelmed by triumphant entry. The death of Jesus was a moment in which the world thought that they had won, that Satan thought victory was his to be had. But then Jesus comes around the backside and says, oh, by the way, this isn't actually going to hold me down. Why? You remember that Greek word that I gave you? Paradidomai? Well, you see on the cross, as Jesus dies, we know that as he is on the cross, he does a, a couple of things. He offers forgiveness for the people who are killing him. 
But he does something that's really intentional. And scripture says that as he, that as he breathed his last, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now in the New Testament, written in Greek, that phrase, to give up, is the same phrase that we translate to be handed over. What's the word? Paradidomai. You see, Jesus, Jesus gave up his spirit, but another translation could just as easily be, he handed it over. Jesus, the sacrifice that he made, his life was not taken from him. He handed his life over for us. Now there's another element to the word paradidomai. And I just couldn't help but bring it to the table because it is just so good. But there's another element for the word paradidomai, and it is that you hand over for safekeeping for another time. Jesus hands his life over for keeping for another time. A time that would come in three days. A time in which he would need resurrection to happen because the power of God was upon him. So Jesus hands himself over, his life over. He is handed over for you and for me. He gives his life up. He gives it up. It's not taken from him. Nothing is taken from God. He gives his life up. He gives it up for you and for me. And then he goes back and he finds Satan himself and says, hey, I need that life back. And I want it back now. And he takes the keys of death from the hands of Satan and he walks out of the tomb. And he says, this is now my victory. This is now my kingdom. And he goes and he finds some people walking down the street. The very first people that he goes to talk to are people who were walking away from the promise. And he goes up to them and he says, hey, let me ask you some questions. Who are you talking about? Man, we're talking about Jesus, the life that he lived, the hope that we thought that he was, that he was our hope. And Jesus walks with them, not just for a moment, but he walks with them all the way to the end of the road, all the way to Emmaus. And he gets to Emmaus and he says, can I stay here for a while? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so they sit down for a meal. And as they sit down for a meal, it says that Jesus takes the loaf of bread and he takes the bread and he breaks it. And whenever he breaks it, the eyes of the two people are open and they realize who it is that is sitting with them, that this is the living God. And they respond in a way that is pretty incredible. It says that they get up and they get back on the road and head back to Jerusalem. Their hope had been restored. The hope that they once had in Jesus had been restored. They, they thought that they had lost him. They thought that he was gone forever, but he wasn't gone forever. They just needed to be reminded that their God is still good in the midst of frustration. Their God is still good in the midst of what seems to be tragedy. Their God is still good in the midst of all chaos. Whenever everything seems out of control, their God is still in control. What's, what's crazy to me is as they're talking to Jesus, they're saying that we had, we had hoped that he would come back. But here's what the wild thing is. They didn't even stick around to see if he would. They didn't even wait the full three days. They didn't wait till the end of Sunday. They could have, but they didn't. They left. 
And so this morning, I want to ask you, are you on the edge of something that Jesus has called you into? Are you on the edge of something and you're just thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't know anymore. Like, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have the hope. I don't know if I have the faith. Well, let me tell you that Jesus, Jesus is really good at finding those people. Jesus is really good at finding those people. And oftentimes he finds them at the end of the road. It's not until the end that the eyes of these two people are opened. It's not until the end of the road to Emmaus that they realize this whole time that they've been walking with their Savior. Whenever you're at the end of your road, whenever you're at the end of your rope, whenever you're at the end, that's when Jesus reveals the plan he's been working on this entire time. It's because I think, I think that Jesus, Jesus wants for you to experience victory even when you're at your lowest. Because it's a reminder for us that we can't save ourselves. It's a reminder for us that we can't win on our own, that this world is so good at bringing defeat over our lives. This world is so good at throwing shame and humiliation over our lives, but Jesus is so good at defeating it when we ask him to. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection. He is the victory that we claim on this day, that if you would believe in him, you would never perish, but that you would have everlasting life. Romans 8:11 says this, that the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit within you. This morning, I want to ask you, are you seeking a new thing in your life? Because if you are, I want you to look within you. Look within you and you will find something. You will find something that is new. Because God is good at taking things that were once dead and breathing resurrection into them. You see, it doesn't matter if your circumstances don't change. Abraham never got younger. He only got older. It didn't matter if the circumstances changed. What mattered was hope. Because hope can make all of the difference. Don't let the world especially in a season that we're in right now, do not let this world drown out the voice of hope that is your God. Because Jesus, Jesus has come and he has overcome this world. Galatians chapter 6 says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we or not we have been transformed into a new creation. Resurrection is your reality this morning. Resurrection is the opportunity that God gives to you and to me to be new 
to be a new creation, to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood. My Jesus, my Jesus was resurrected. My Jesus lives today so that he can call me to live a greater tomorrow. That is what my Jesus has accomplished for me, and it was done on Easter. As we close out this morning, we're going to close with another song, and the song is called Resurrecting. And in there, there's some really powerful lyrics that, as I know we've sung this song before, but maybe you've never paid attention to what, is, what happens in this song. Today, I invite you to, yes, please worship along with us, but pay attention to the declaration that you sing in these words. That Jesus is not held in the grave, but that Jesus has proclaimed a victory over our life. That that is his name. And that in the name of Jesus, resurrection is still happening. And we will continue to celebrate his goodness because of Easter. I love you guys. I miss you guys. I'm excited that today is Easter morning. But I am more excited to worship with, with you as we are the people of hope. Let's worship, church. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We would love for you to connect with us weekly, so please be sure to subscribe to this channel. We would also ask that if you have been encouraged by this ministry, would you consider partnering with us financially? Your support helps us continue our mission of helping people move from where they are to where God is calling them to be. You can find all the ways to give at graceodessa.com give. Thank you.